In public school art class, is it okay to draw demons but not the cross? We'll discuss a Wisconsin court case. Plus, we'll talk with Vietnam War General Hal Moore, author of We Were Soldiers Once and Young, about his spiritual journey. And is Barack Obama a liberal? We'll look at specifics. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Crystal College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. Chill out. We're going to win this election if we just chill out and let everybody have their say. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Penna Dexter sitting in for Dr. Jerry Johnson, and that was Bill Clinton in a speech. Uh, He was campaigning for his wife, Hillary Clinton, over the weekend. Uh, He also met privately with California's superdelegates, and uh, his tone uh, was a little different. As a matter of fact, uh, he was was pretty uh, polite and congenial uh, at the beginning, (laughs) but then he changed. In fact, one of the superdelegates said it was one of the worst political meetings he'd ever attended. This is when Bill Clinton blasted away at uh, former presidential contender Bill Richardson for having endorsed Barack Obama, and uh, so Bill Clinton uh, may not be such an asset out there on the campaign trail for Hillary Rodham Clinton. Apparently, uh, at this California meeting, he flew in from Chicago with bags under his eyes. He was classic old Bill at first, charming, making some small talk, uh, uh, but then he kind of let loose uh, with regard to this whole Bill Richardson uh, nomination. Well, ladies and gentlemen, have you seen this movie? Men are so young, and when I look at them, I see our boys. What do you think about being a soldier? And a father. I hope that being good at the one makes me better at the other. When we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off. But we will all come home together. Do you recognize that voice? It's the voice of Mel Gibson, and it's the movie from 2002, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, about the, about the Vietnam War. It was a wonderful story. It was the adaptation of Lieutenant General Hal Moore's best-selling book on his Vietnam War experience. And General Moore will be joining us today on the program. Also, a student in Madison, Wisconsin, is getting a zero on an art project, an art assignment. Uh, because it's too religious, the teacher says. He's suing his school. We're going to discuss this with Gary McCaleb of the Alliance Defense Fund. It's okay to draw demonic images, but not a cross. Uh, no putting a scripture on your art project, and uh, that's sort of censoring Christian speech. Well, John McCain appeared on David Letterman last night. You know who I like is that John McCain. Do you folks like John McCain? 
He, he looks like the guy who goes into town for turpentine. He looks like the guy who's always got wiry hair growing out of new places. He, he looks like the guy who points out the spots they missed at the car wash. How you doing? Nice to see you. Hi, how are you doing? You think that stuff's pretty funny, don't you? Yeah, well... <laughs> Well, you look like a guy whose laptop would be seized by the authorities. What? Uh-huh. You look like the guy who the neighbors later say he mostly kept to himself. Well, it degenerated from there. We won't play the rest of this. But if John McCain loses the presidency, perhaps he has a job in comedy. Uh, we'll have to see. He's also appearing on uh, some radio. He was with Don Imus. And uh, he said that he is actually very pleased with the support that he's received from another presidential candidate, Mitt Romney. He was very gracious. He came out to Salt Lake City and Denver and did uh, appearances with me in fundraising and um I'm very appreciative. You've got to wonder uh, whether he's one of the guys under consideration for McCain's vice presidential pick. He does say that he will make this pick before the convention. Uh, that's normally the way it's done these days. And uh, lots of people wondering, especially lots of conservatives, wondering who John McCain will pick. Who do you think he should pick? If you have a VP pick for John McCain... Give us a call, 800-881-9270. Some of the people that we've seen sort of the names bantied about are Minnesota Governor Tim Pawlenty, also South Carolina Governor Mark Sanford. I heard him speak several months ago. He's a real conservative, especially on the economic issues. And uh, he did not uh, come out and endorse John McCain during the primaries. And so I think the McCain campaign is sort of mad at him right now. But uh, he is still on that short list. Also, Governor Bobby Jindal from Louisiana. And uh, J.C. Watts has been uh, mentioned. He's a former congressman from Oklahoma, a black, very conservative Christian. And uh, even I've heard the name of Michael Steele, who is a former lieutenant governor of Maryland. Well, if you have any ideas for John McCain, of course, some Mike Huckabee. Uh, also been mentioned. The number is 800-881-9270. John McCain told Don Imus he's just begun to complete this list of possible running mates, and he understands how important this choice is. I'm aware of uh, the enhanced importance of this issue, given my, uh, given my age. And enhanced uh, importance. He does have a good, dry sense of humor. Well, let's go to the phones. John is in Louisville. John, thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, the person that I would um, want him to choose would be Mike Huckabee. And why? Uh, well, uh, when you're married, you're uh, said this is your better half, so uh, that would be McCain's better half. Yeah, a lot of people think so, a lot of our Christian friends. Uh, others, though, uh, that are in the Republican Party worry about uh, Mike Huckabee's um, what's been seen as economic liberalism, in a sense, and uh, they don't think that would be a good combination with John McCain. Uh, let's go now to Duncanville and uh, get the thoughts from Jason. Hi, Jason. Thanks for calling. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I'm still wondering on who to vote for president. After McCain's visit with uh, David Letterman last night, uh, I normally I vote for the lesser two evils, and I don't even know what the where uh, who the lesser two evils are anymore. They A lot of Christians are saying that. Like. 
Did you watch uh, the show last night? Uh, a little bit. And tell tell us your impressions. I'm I'm not impressed with the man. Yeah, like you said, the uh, show went kind of downhill from uh, from that uh, first first uh, group, uh, group of jokes all the way down. It just it was sad. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I don't think he really represents the uh, Christian conservative side of the party, and we're kind of waiting for John McCain to reach out to us. He hasn't really done so, and uh, even Jim Dobson, uh, Dobson has been making comments to uh, that effect. Let's go to Renee in Plano. Renee, thanks for calling. Hi, I actually have three candidates that I wouldn't mind seeing. Um, Duncan Hunter, who I supported um, for president. Um, Condoleezza Rice, I think she'd be very strong. But I also really like Joe Lieberman, um, just because he seems to have uh, a lot of integrity as well. Uh, He's pro-abortion. Does that bother you? I I wasn't aware that he was, Mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah, he's pro-choice. Okay, well, I'll just uh, I'll uh, give my opinion on those three, Renee. Thanks for calling. Duncan Hunter is great uh, and uh, conservative down the line, uh, good on all the issues. Condi Rice is also pro-choice, and she has been, uh, you know, Secretary of State, as we all know, and also National Security Advisor. That's where her expertise lies. And Joe Lieberman, uh, yes, he's strong on national defense, but he's liberal on just about everything else. All right, ladies and gentlemen, yesterday uh, we told the story of Barack Obama's comment uh, that he would teach his daughters morals, but if they made a mistake, he says, I wouldn't punish them with a baby. And that brought a lot of response from you. And uh, we even had some callers who said they're pro-life and they are Christians. They believe the Bible, but uh, they like Barack Obama because of his message of change and his, quote-unquote, freshness. And uh, here I did, we neglected to read one email, and I want to read it from Joe in uh, Louisville, Texas, and she says, I'm horrified at the comment Obama made about babies being a punishment. It makes me furious. As somebody who has never been able to have children, I would be thrilled with that so-called quote-unquote punishment. I am sure that all women women who have walked in the same shoes I have would feel the same way. It really was not uh, a very good comment that he made, and uh, I think we're right to criticize him. And Joe, thank you so much for that comment. Uh, Dave is in Dallas now with his VP picks. Dave, go ahead. I'd really like Bobby Jindal. Um, I would go with J.C. Watts, though, as an alternative. Bobby Jindal's going to do great things in Louisiana. It may be too soon, but I think he's going to be an up-and-coming star in the Republican Party. Bobby Jindal's a great pick, uh, and, you know, it's almost a shame to take him away from Louisiana so soon. Uh, they just got started, and there's a lot that he needs to do there. Uh, I do want to go on a little bit more before the end of the segment about Barack Obama. He has taken the lead in one poll in Pennsylvania, which is very interesting. And, uh, you know, when these callers called in and said that uh, he was fine on everything except abortion, uh, I just kind of want to to elaborate on that a little bit because, you know, the word liberal comes to mind. I mean, the National Journal, as we've said many times on this program, has rated Obama as the most liberal person uh, in the United States Senate in the year 2007. Now, Barack Obama doesn't like being called liberal. In fact, he says that the label is old politics. Uh, He says that we're trying to get rid of this kind of politics. He says the old categories don't work, and they're preventing us from solving problems. But what that really is is a smokescreen to cover up 
his positions on the issues. And so I'm going to just tell you what his positions are, and I'm taking this out of the Wall Street Journal. There's an editorial today by Peter Weiner of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and uh, it's called Obama and the L Word. And here are his positions. He favors uh, higher income, Social Security, and corporate taxes. He wants to raise your taxes. He supports massive increases in domestic spending and greater government regulation of the economy. Socialism. He favors a significantly larger role for the federal government in health care, universal health care, basically, uh, which costs a pretty penny and sometimes uh, downgrades the treatment that people actually get. If you ask countries that have it, you'll find out that's true. He also opposes the North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, Some of us uh, may not think that's so bad. Mr. Obama has criticized the Supreme Court's decision to uphold the partial birth abortion ban. We heard his comments on that yesterday. He also wants to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act, which defines marriage as between one man and one woman. Did you know that? Uh, He also voted against John Roberts and Samuel Alito for the Supreme Court. Uh, And in Illinois, he supported banning the manufacture, sale, and possession of handguns. We also mentioned yesterday that he voted against a bill that would protect babies who are uh, the products of uh, botched abortions. He he, uh, refused to support a bill that would protect those babies and give them health care. He supports granting driver's licenses to illegal immigrants. On national security, he voted to deny legal immunity to telecom companies that have uh, cooperated with the government in this warrantless wiretapping of suspected terrorists. Uh, He also wants to grant habeas corpus to detainees held at Guantanamo Bay, and he supports a full-scale withdrawal from Iraq. Uh, He said that in his first year in office, he would meet with the leaders of Iran, Syria, Venezuela, Cuba, and North Korea without preconditions. Uh, He's been endorsed by MoveOn.org, one of the most radical groups within the liberal universe. Uh, He has not run to the center so far. He's not running as a new Democrat like Bill Clinton did. Bill Clinton at least favored some conservative policies. So down the line, Barack Obama is a liberal. Uh, Rick Perry, when he appeared on this program, said he was a socialist. So I just wanted to kind of lay that out there for the folks that say that uh, the life issue is the only one that's a problem for them. Uh, You might want to reconsider or even check out this article in the Wall Street Journal today. Well, ladies and gentlemen, next up, we are going to talk with a general. Uh, He is the author of the best-selling book, We Were Soldiers, Once and Young. Of course, this movie was made uh, starring Mel Gibson. Uh, General Hal Moore will join us next. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. 
Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's criswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Right now we're still on track for the 5th Brigade to come out, the last of the surge brigades to come out uh, by, uh, by the end of July. We'll ask our next guest uh, about this. That was Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman Mike Mullen. He says plans are still on track to continue withdrawing troops from Iraq this summer. But our next guest, actually we have two guests. One is a Lieutenant, General, uh, Lieutenant General Hal Moore. He has, according to Randall Wallace, director of the movie We Were Soldiers, redefined heroism, his physical courage, his abilities to train and lead even through danger and desperation, are only the beginning of character. He believes a leader's role is not limited to the battlefield alone. He believes that God has created us to aspire to a different kind of manhood. And on and on, great compliments for Lieutenant General Hal Moore. Before we bring him in, along with his co-author, let's hear from the trailer of the movie, We Were Soldiers, Once and Young. Daddy, what is a war? It's when some people try to take the lives of other people and then soldiers like your daddy have to you know it's my job to go over there and stop them welcome to the new cavalry we will ride into battle and this will be our horse flying to hostile territory outnumbered 10,000 miles from home they want to fly with you for some reason i guess it's because they think you're the best I have today ordered to Vietnam 125,000 men. Additional forces will be needed later. We'll be landing under fire, gentlemen. Men will die. We are going into battle against a tough and determined enemy. Men are so young, and when I look at them, I see our boys. What do you think about being a soldier and a father? I hope that being good at the one makes me better at the other. When we go into battle, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I will be the last to step off. But we will all come home together. Many, uh, many fans have said this is one of the best war movies ever made. I saw the movie, and uh, I would tend to agree. This was a great movie, and of course, it was based on the New York, Sci- uh, New York Times bestseller, uh, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, co-written by Lieutenant General Hal Moore, and uh, a co-author. And uh, the general has a new book out. It's called A General's Spiritual Journey, and it is observed and written by Hal Moore's driver. And right now, both of them join us. So Lieutenant General Hal Moore is with us. General Moore, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here, Miss Jackson. And also, uh, Toby Warren, your co-author. Toby, thanks for joining us. 
Uh, we're delighted to be with you. Well, we're happy to have you, and uh, we're going to ask you about a lot of different subjects, but I first uh, want to, I guess, ask you, General Moore, why you wrote this book, A General Spiritual Journey. Actually, I did not write the book. My dear friend Toby Warren, who's on the other phone, wrote the book. And over, the, I lost my wife in 19... I lost my wife four years ago after 54 years of marriage. And Toby Warren came out of the blue sky as a, as a dear, dear friend. And I see Toby almost every day. And we talk on the, on the phone. We, we're, he drives me to Fort Benning, Georgia, and back. We talk while driving. And Toby uh, asked me a lot of questions about my life, which I've answered honestly. And uh, one day he walked into my, into my kitchen with a draft of a uh, small booklet called a, special, a General Spiritual Journey. And I read through it, and he said, would, would you allow me to have this published? And I told him, if it will save one soul, if it will save even one soul, publish it, and let's see what happens. All right. On December 1st, 2007, uh, you were presented with uh, an award. The first annual National Freedom Award is a tribute to troops everywhere who have really forfeited their own comfort and safety to serve our nation. Of course, that's what this movie was about. And in a sense, you are giving this book as a gift to the troops in a certain way, aren't you? That's, that's exactly right. Uh, Toby, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, when did the thought come in your mind to actually put this, uh, these words of the general down on paper? Uh, I guess it came in, in, in spots. Uh, General Moore is an avid reader, and, and uh, every time I sit with him, he's in his rocking chair. There are four or five books around his rocking chair, and, uh, and he reads four or five books at a time, and all of them deal with faith and religion and grief and uh, prayer. And, uh, and then when I started hearing all of the stories where he started sharing after Julie died, all of the stories uh, began to, I started to connect the dots, at least in my mind, and they all dealt with spirituality. And so I asked General Moore if, if he, I would, you know, if he would give me his blessing to, to do this, all for charity and ministry, and, and obviously he shared his response. And I think the real final <laughs> uh, testimony to it was the fact that I was driving him for back surgery in Columbus, to Columbus Georgia, and uh, I said, General Moore, what business are you in? And he thought for two or three minutes, and he said nothing, and then he said, I'm in the business of eternity. Hmm. And when he said that, it just it opened the door. I, I had no choice, so I just went for it. General Moore, uh, I noticed that uh, when you graduated from West Point, you actually went directly to a retreat to prepare yourself spiritually. So your spiritual life has basically informed your military life, hasn't it? That's exactly right. Uh, as, a, as a young boy, I, I went to a uh, eighth through the eighth grade, taught by the Sisters of Charity, nuns. I went through prep school, taught by the Brothers of St. Francis Xavier. When I went to West Point, I became a, a member of the, uh, of the Catholic uh, Church there at, in, in the rectory, and I became very, very close to the to the two priests in the rectory. And the only reason that I got through West Point was Jesus Christ and God helped me to pass all those, all those uh, 
academic tests and all the disciplinary tests that we had to go through. And I, I really have attributed all my life to my, to my spiritual beliefs. And I, I really, I really thank God for having given me those, those deep, deep-seated beliefs, particularly now in the, in the four years since I lost, since I lost my wife of 54 years. Living alone is not easy. And I have a dear, dear friend, Toby Ward, who's on the other phone. And we go to the same church, and we pray the same prayers. And I would advise anyone who's listening to this program to to turn away from the physical life on earth every now and then and, and pay attention to their spiritual side, because that is the eternal life we're all headed for. General Moore, uh in the movie, uh, what struck me and what I really loved about it was the portrayal of how much um, you loved your troops, basically. I mean, it's autobiographical. So can you kind of go into that a little more, what it was like to be leading men, uh, many to, uh, many you knew to their deaths, and uh, you had a love for them. Can you just talk about that a little bit? I, I, really, I didn't really get part of your question. Why did you ask the question? I'm talking about a general's love for his men and leading them to what you know will be the death of some of them. Okay. I was not a general during that battle about which I wrote the book. I was a lieutenant colonel, and I had commanded these men for over a year before we went into the uh, went into Vietnam, and many of several of them. This was a draftee army. And draftees were the principal parts of the Army in 1965 and 66. The regular Army sergeants, most of them were married, and I had, I had a few picnics and battalion social functions when I met some of their wives and children. And when I commanded these men for 14 months before we went to Vietnam, I got to know most of my men very closely. It was a, it was about a 700-man battalion, but due to discharges, when we went into that battle, we were down to 450 men. And I knew these men very well. I knew their families, knew their wives, some of their children. And let me tell you, it is very, very profoundly grieving when, when you take men into battle and, and you have to carry a, carry a man dead off the battlefield and you know a terrible truth that will strike the hearts and break the hearts of a family back home within 36 mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think every, every religious leader, every uh, military leader who is listening to this program will agree with me that one of the toughest things that you have to do is you have to send men into battle knowing that some of them are going to get killed. And I will admit to you, frankly, now, that I, that I feel guilty that I also was not killed in that battle, not only that battle, but in battles in the Korean War that I fought as well. A leader likes to lead his men, and for some reason God has kept me alive during all those battles I fought in Korea, Porkchop Hill, Old Baldy, and in Vietnam. And for some reason... Uh, the, God has kept me alive, and, and I'm trying my best to qualify for eternal life 
so that I can see my men again and see my wife again. Well, qualifying for eternal life comes from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for describing that in this book. I know you want to get copies out to uh, troops overseas, and you will be doing that, uh, but it's also just a wonderful encouragement for other folks. I recommend getting A General's Spiritual Journey by Lieutenant General Hal Moore. And uh, both of you, Lieutenant General Moore and Toby Warren, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Well, next up, ladies and gentlemen, uh, looking at a pretty cool picture of a high school student, uh, a picture that he drew. It's got a cross on it, though, and his teacher gave him a zero for it. We'll find out why right after this. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now, here's Penna Dexter. Well, we had some primaries, presidential primaries, earlier in the month. Uh, but guess what? It's not over. Early voting is now taking place this week for several runoff elections. Some are hard fought. Oh, of course, runoffs usually are hard fought. And uh, so those are taking place this week. And then the regular runoff election will be April 8th, which is next Tuesday. And uh, so there's also another big issue at stake uh, that uh, the Congress is looking at that we're going to talk about in a moment. But let's see, uh, what uh, districts do we have runoffs in? Kelly Shackelford sent me something today that says, in Texas House districts 22, 52, 55, 81, 112, and 144, uh, there are unresolved uh, races, uh, runoffs. Also, I know in Collin County, there's a county commissioner runoff. Uh, there is a railroad commissioner runoff in the Democrat Party between Dale Henry and Mark Thompson. Uh, that county commissioner race that I mentioned uh, in Collin County is between Phyllis Cole and uh, Matt Shaheen, who uh, goes to my church, member of Prestonwood Baptist Church. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, U.S. Congressional District 32, there's a couple of guys running on the Democrat side, several others. Oh, on the Democrat side, there's a tax assessor collector, uh, Dallas uh, runoff race, and uh, in District 112, there's a Republican uh, runoff between Angie Chen Button and Randy Dunning, and there's been some real uh, slamming ads out there about Randy Dunning, which I think uh, people ought to go out and get the truth on that one. But uh, I just wanted to remind you to go and vote in the runoff. Even if you didn't vote in the uh, election, you can vote in the runoff. If you voted in the election, then you need to vote in the same party uh, that you voted in the election for in the runoff. But it's not over, and uh, there are some important issues at stake, so I just want to make that encouragement. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I mentioned, uh, there's a court case taking place up in the state of Wisconsin in Madison. And I was trying to describe to you this picture that a young high High school student uh, drew. It's got a cross on it. Uh, it's got John three sixteen on it, and those things were big problems for his teacher. As a matter of fact, she said that it couldn't be on there. He insisted uh, on keeping it, and uh, he got a zero. He sued the school. With us to talk about it is Gary McCaleb from the Alliance Defense Fund. Gary, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you. Well, ADF always comes to the rescue for uh, these uh, people who get their religious liberties and freedoms stomped upon. This has happened up in Madison. Can you tell us about the case? Absolutely. Uh, This case is just about as awful as it sounds. This young man uh, fulfilled the assignment. It was an assignment in our class to draw a landscape. 
he did that. And the landscape also said you could draw it from a realistic perspective or even a fantasy perspective. You could refer to books and so on. Uh, that's what this young man did. He drew this landscape. And actually, it's kind of a, a modification of the original drawing as this moved through the artistic process. He put a cross at the end of a long road leading to the horizon and uh, noted on there in the upper right-hand side, John 3.16, a sign of love. Uh, unfortunately, apparently another student saw this, took offense, complained to the teacher, and before you could say First Amendment, this thing was out of the classroom and censorship had taken place. Uh, he got a zero for the assignment and unfortunately was also given a couple detentions ultimately as a consequence of his including faith in his artwork. Uh, ironically and, and somewhat amazingly, at the same school, uh, they have student artwork, drawings of demons hanging up in various places. You're they kidding. Have, I'm not kidding. They've, they've got a Hindu goddess in one teacher's room. They have a couple of Buddhas out there. So religious items are in there, and actually that's all well and good, but what's not good is treating a Christian student differently, of discriminating against John 3.16 uh, when other forms of religious speech are in there. And properly so, the First Amendment protects that. You know, I find it very interesting because art is usually the person's, uh, it comes out of the person's heart and their life. And if you go to federally funded museums across the country, the Smithsonian, I mean, you see religious art that reflects the views of the ardor, artists religiously. And yet, uh, you know, why are they so, I think, I feel like it's a paranoia in the public schools, is it? Well, it is a paranoia, and it's often cast, ironically, again, as tolerance. But silencing people is not tolerance. And certainly, uh, when you have a Christian young man like this, uh, taught 20% of his class, excellent student, no discipline problems, and he expresses his heart, as you say, through his artwork, which is what art is really all about, and then be censored. Uh, the Constitution says school officials simply cannot single that student out for discrimination or tell him that his religious beliefs uh, don't belong in school. I'm very proud of this young man uh, for standing up in a difficult situation, seeking help from ADF and allowing us to take this one to court. How did he hear about you? How did you get hooked up with him? And tell us also how old he is. Well, he's a high school senior, just under 18, and he gave us a call for help, fortunately. And uh, we very quickly leaped into action. We actually have a team of lawyers now that do nothing but focus on these kind of issues on public school campuses. So we've got uh, folks well-versed in the law. And frankly, uh, from the cases we have coming in, this is one of those astounding we've seen where a school allows other religious objects. Uh, the assignment was completely met by the artwork he gave, and yet they've got a broad ban that says you can't have religious content uh, in your assignments whatsoever. They've actually got a grading policy that prohibits it which is flat discrimination against religion. You've got a public school system which says basically that Christians can't uh, identify themselves on campus through their normal classwork, and that's just a blatant violation. All right, here's something that I always hear uh, the attorneys from Alliance Defense Fund say, and this is actually in the lawsuit. It says students do not 
shed their constitutional rights at the schoolhouse gate. Now with me is Gary McCaleb from the Alliance Defense Fund. This case, again, let me remind you, is out of Madison, Wisconsin. And of course, that's sort of a liberal area. But I mean, even here in North Texas, there is a lot of censorship of Christian um, speech in the in the public schools. And so, Gary, just talk about this whole idea of that you have a constitutional right wherever you are to speak about your faith. That's right. And in a school context, obviously school administrators can maintain control and discipline and whatnot. But when you're performing an assignment that is about individual expression and you meet the academic requirements of the type of uh, drawing, the medium they use, and all the things they required, the school simply cannot single out Christian expression and say, this form of religion is prohibited. Uh, again, it's all the much uh, more severe here, where on one hand they have a written policy that says no religion whatsoever, which is discriminating on the basis of viewpoint, something the government simply is not allowed to do. And then they make it worse by apparently allowing some religious expression suppressing others, and uh, in the same time frame, we've got student artwork of demons out there. Uh, which I heard they had a Buddha it. at that school. They've got a, a couple figurines of Buddhas. They, they've got a skinny one and a chubby one, I'm told, <laughs> uh, as well as a, a figurine of a Hindu goddess. So it, it, it just, frankly, bewildered us. What are these folks thinking, that they're discriminating directly against Christians, and yet they properly accommodate other forms of religious speech in their school. That is a rank type of viewpoint discrimination, singling Christian students out, favoring one religious viewpoint over another. These are all just red alarms, red alerts, uh, constitutionally speaking. In fact, several of the appellate courts have said in previous lawsuits quite directly that the school's job in these instances, situations, is to teach about the First Amendment, to t- teach the students why we tolerate diverse viewpoints. And if they can't teach that, then probably the public schools can't teach anything. Uh, that's advice I think every public school administrator should take to heart. When these situations arise, the right response is not say, oh my gosh, that offended somebody, that's censor it. Uh, the right response is to teach these kids about the First Amendment and why religious speech is an important and legitimate part of our history and our everyday life today. To tell a student that religious beliefs can be legally censored is just simply unconstitutional. Gary McCaleb, Alliance Defense Fund, is with me. And, you know, I don't know, with the reports coming out about the public school graduation rates right now, I don't know if we could expect such common sense coming uh, from that uh, sector of our society. But it is a great idea when you get a complaint about religion from someone taking place in the public square, start teaching them about the First Amendment. It's a great uh, teaching opportunity. Well, Gary, uh, as you said, Alliance Defense Fund was ready for this. You're ready for these types of cases. And so I want you to let people know if they run into something like this, what they should do, how they should contact you, and also just some of the other things. Because Alliance Defense Fund is a great resource for people to understand about uh, the Constitution and also just about the threats to the Constitution. I mean, I read the Alliance alert every day and find these articles about what you're doing and just what some of these threats are uh, out there to our religious freedoms, to marriage, and other things. So just talk a little bit about ADF. Absolutely. We are a National Legal Alliance defending the right to hear and speak the truth through strategy, training, funding, litigation. You mentioned the Alliance alert. That's a daily newsletter we send out with just all the the fast-breaking latest news about religious liberties and, and family issues on the legal front. 
You can go to the web at www.telladf.org. Uh, sign up for that newsletter. If you've got a legal issue, there's a link there where you can report it to our legal intake folks and get some help. Uh, you can always call us at 1-800-TELL-ADF. I've really got to emphasize that when Christians stand mutely and, and let their speech be censored, uh, you're really letting the gospel be censored. Uh, every person that stands up for their rights and enables the Christian viewpoint to be shared fairly and freely under the law is doing a favor for all Christians, and that's why it's important, uh, as this young man did, uh, to stand up for your rights. Give us a call when they're violated. It's difficult, it's challenging, it's frankly scary if you're a young man. Uh, but I was thinking about this earlier today, you know, you've got a class of high school seniors here in this instance. I'm sure some of those folks are going to be going in the military, and in a matter mm -hmm. of months they can be over in harm's way in Afghanistan or Iraq. And to think that uh, we have people courageous enough to do that, and yet others who won't even stand up for their rights in the civil uh, legal system, kind of scary. It is scary. Gary McCaleb, Alliance Defense Fed, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, the battle's not only over there, it's also over here. Stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. John McCain had a difficult time adjusting to the discipline imposed on him at the academy. But ultimately he learned. He grew to understand the honor of serving a cause greater than his self-interest. And when the calamity of fate delivered him to North Vietnam, it was an understanding of honor that changed his life forever. Well, that's an ad for John McCain, and we're just playing that to comment on it. And it's interesting because uh, he actually was speaking at Annapolis today, and he had a few comments about his time there. Uh, he said that his four years at the Naval, Naval Academy were not exactly, in his words, notable for exemplary virtue or academic achievement, uh, but rather for the impressive catalog of demerits uh, I managed, he says, to accumulate. In fact, John McCain says, by my reckoning, at the uh, end of my second class year, I had marched enough extra duty to take me to Baltimore and back 17 times which, if not a record, certainly ranks somewhere very near the top. You kind of wonder if John McCain is out there making these comments because they're on the record, number one, and uh, just sort of to diffuse the attacks that uh, he might get uh, when touting his record 
uh, in Vietnam on the campaign trail uh, as he meets up with a Democrat. He also uh, said, if I had ignored some of the less important conventions of the Academy, I was careful not to defame its more compelling traditions, the veneration of courage and resilience, the honor code that simply assumed your fidelity to its principles, the homage paid to Americans who had sacrificed greatly for our country, uh, the expectation that you too, you, uh, those he's speaking to, would prove worthy of your country's trust. The most important lesson I learned here was to sustain my self-respect for a lifetime. It would be necessary for me to have the honor of serving something greater than my self-interest. And, of course, he went on to talk about how he would need all of that uh, as he was uh, POW in Vietnam and uh, just... uh, served our country in the military. And so that's John McCain. Now, uh, is he reaching out to conservatives? Well, uh, Jim Dobson doesn't think so. In fact, the Wall Street Journal uh, says that Jim Dobson uh, basically told them, I've seen no evidence that Senator McCain is successfully unifying the Republican Party or drawing conservatives into his fold. Uh, to the contrary, says Dobson, he seems intent on driving them away. To my knowledge, he's not reached out to the pro-family leaders. He hasn't reached out to Jim Dobson, and I don't think John McCain is doing that. And, of course, on uh, on Sean Hannity's program, uh, he reiterated the fact that he still supports embryonic stem cell research, and Jim Dobson uses that as a as really a criteria that uh, he says you need to you need to be against that type of research to be pro-life. But in a sense, that issue is going away just because of science. They've developed some embryo-like uh, substances that uh, will probably be able to be used in research, and we won't need to deal with embryonic stem cell research. Hopefully the Congress will actually get that message. Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know about a couple of programs coming up. And uh, tomorrow we're going to be talking with Peter Holmes, the author of Christ Walks Where Evil Reigns. This is responding to the Rwandan genocide, which ought to be interesting. Uh, Also next week, John Maxwell, uh, who is a famous um, pastor expert on leadership, and he's written a new book on leadership, which ought to be very interesting to folks. Also, uh, John Eldridge will be joining us next week on his book, on uh, Walk with God. Well, there's something else that I want to point out to you, an important issue uh, that's taking place right now, and the Congress needs to do something about this, actually, uh, specifically, the United States Senate. And uh, we need to look at this when we look at the election and who's important uh, to get elected to the White House and to the United States Senate, because uh, the judges, the nominees that President Bush has put forward before the Senate are really in a backlog right now. And, uh, in fact, uh, the the ranking member on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Arlen Specter, says he's about ready to try to use some tactics to shut down the Senate if uh, the senators won't bring these judges to a vote. And uh, in the last two years, he says, because he's been around a long time, he was in the chairman's seat uh, of the Judiciary Committee. And the Republican-controlled Senate then confirmed 15 appellate court nominees. Uh, Now, that is, uh, you know, that was a pretty good record, and he basically did it in the name of fairness. Now, though, more than halfway through uh, President Bush's final two years, the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, who is Patrick Leahy of Vermont, is not returning the favor. Uh, He has uh, basically, this Democratic Senate, since it's been controlled by Democrats, has only confirmed six nominees, and there are no plans in the near future 
uh, to move these remaining 11 forward. They have to go through the Judiciary Committee. Now, uh, rarely do uh, Judiciary Committees or even Senates, United States Senates, confirm nominees to the courts in the final months of a president's second term. So they should be doing it right now. Uh, Time is running out. The clock is ticking. And I think the strategy by the Democrats is to say that they are going to retake the White House in November, and they don't mind leaving the courts you know, shorthanded, and they are very much shorthanded. Um, now, remember back uh, when the Republicans were in control and the Democrats were filibustering the nominees. So this shows how important the courts are to both parties. And that's why when you look at presidential nominees, you need to look at who is going to be uh, nominated. Now, look at the Supreme Court. Some people have said that Hillary Clinton, if she were president, might actually nominate Bill Clinton to the Supreme Court, which would be interesting. But if she didn't nominate him, you have to know that you'd have all kinds of nominees, not only to the Supreme Court, but to the federal courts that uh, would uphold the quote-unquote woman's right to choose. Uh, and that would be very favorable to disintegrating marriage in favor of homosexual marriage and other things like that. And uh, so uh, the the Wall Street Journal has another piece about this today. They say that the uh, Democrats' slow judicial role follows their misuse of this filibuster. And uh, it's also an abuse of the Constitution because the Constitution, we were talking about this uh, last segment, it gives the president the responsibility of, of selecting the judges. And it doesn't tell you the rules, how it has to be done, but it does say the president gets to do this. The Senate votes up or down on them. But the Senate is really, again, obstructing this, blocking these people from even being considered. Uh, Arlen Specter said, I sided with Clinton on his judges who were competent. Well, there are a lot of competent judges who are up there and ready uh, to be uh, voted on, but they aren't being voted on. The full Senate is not even being given the opportunity to vote on these people, and it really, really isn't fair. Senator Leahy is being partisan about this. Uh, he is not uh, really prosecuting his responsibilities as chairman of the Judiciary Committee, and here is one case that's egregious. Uh, it's just an example of many, but in the Fourth Circuit of Court of Appeals, which covers Maryland, uh, Virginia, West Virginia, South Carolina, and North Carolina, Fifteen of the seats are vacant, and uh, one of the people who's waiting for a vote is a highly regarded nominee, Peter Keisler. He was nominated, but you know why they won't vote on him? Because he clerked for Robert Bork in the stirring his career, and uh, he has also clerked for uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony, Anthony Kennedy. Uh, so in a sense, this guy... Uh, He needs to be considered and given a full hearing. It's not happening, and it's important that we look at this. Join us tomorrow for more of Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.